and I literally, I was like a baby. We were actually saying I'm like one big baby because I was also wearing nappies. I was wearing pampers maybe. Solo, what, what's, uh, how are things back home just now, mate? Is the country all over the shop? We're still under lockdown, uh, but, you know, they are starting to, to relax the, the provisions a little bit. Um, I know restaurants are, are starting to open up. Uh, we haven't got to the point where gyms and stuff are open. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's been hectic, you know. Everyone's working from home, trying to, trying to stay safe, trying to, you know, keep healthy. But, you know, for me personally, it hasn't, changed much of my lifestyle if i can say um because really the only places i, I go is to therapy and pharmacy and then home so i've been in lockdown for almost a year already so <laughs> I'm, I'm really i've been ready for this thing <laughs> the only difference is you don't have to listen to dale sweeney's chat every second day <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what a lad what a lad so whereabouts so, are you just now solo are you in so currently I'm in Johannesburg ah, okay. um, with, with family. Um, I'm, I'm back home, but we still have a bit of a, a hospital set up here at home. I have a, like a medical bed still, and I still have a care worker who's staying with us uh, 24 hours because um, I'm still not really able to, to do um, all the stuff independently, like eating, brushing my teeth, uh, dressing, and, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so we have a care worker that's, yeah, that's helping me. You know, get through the the day to day. Also, drives me to to therapy and home and, and stuff like that. Has the uh, how's the like therapy going, mate? What's uh, what kind of things are you doing? So, uh, I'm doing therapy five times a week, uh, Monday to Friday, nonstop. Um, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I'm doing traditional physiotherapy and occupational therapy. So, the physiotherapy is focusing on my lower limbs strengthening my legs um, and, and trying to get me to stand up from the wheelchair. And the occupational therapy is more upper limbs and upper body and doing functional things, um, sort of trying to integrate you back into your, your normal day-to-day -day life. Um, you know. And then on the Tuesday and the Thursday, I'm doing hydrotherapy. So that's when I'm in the, in the swimming pool. Um, and basically getting into the pool allows me to do a lot more movement that I would not have been able to do on land because of the gravity aspect. So in the water, it obviously eliminates gravity and I'm able to like sort of walk in the pool, stand in the pool. And I think once I've mastered doing it in the pool, I can probably attempt it on, on land. So that's how my weeks are set up. Weekends, I'm chilling, taking it easy, spending time with family here at home, sleeping late, you know, <laughs> doing all of that good stuff. <laughs> Class. Solo, I was telling um, Hoggy that your name is a lot longer than just Solo. What's, uh, what's, the full, what's your full Sunday name? So it's Sinesipo Solomzi Nicholas. Those are my three names. Um, Sinesipo means like we have a gift in, in my Kosa language. And then Solomzi means um, protector of the household or like protector of the home. And then Nicholas was the, the name my great grandfather had. Um, uh, so that's, that completes the set. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how do you pronounce your something correctly? Mweni. <laughs> got a bit of a click in, in there. <laughs> That is mental. Say it again. Brilliant. 
Right, you go, Liam. You try it. I've tried. Me and Dale used to try. No, you've got to give it a go, mate. You've got to okay. give it a try. Okay. I'm Quenny. That's terrible. You get an E for effort. You get an E for effort. Let's let's hear you, man. Oh, no. Quenny. Oh, no. It's a shocker. It's an F, mate. It's an F. Sorry. How, how could you do that? I don't understand how you do that. Your mouth doesn't even move. Just because of, of, of how we were brought up and we like learn how to use the clicks and stuff, you know, quite early on when we're yeah. young. So, so we we're doing a we we're doing our homework, mate, and obviously you started your cricket with the Eastern Province. Yes. When did you when did you move into that kind of setup or what age were you? First time I got selected to represent Eastern Province, which I guess would be kind of like representing um, one of the what are those like mini franchises you guys have in, in, in Scotland? Yeah, I think there's three of them. And it was yeah. sort of like that, the same thing as that. And, and started at an under 13 level. And, you know, from, from, from then on in, I sort of, you know, worked my way um, through the ranks under 13, under 15, um, under 16, under 17. And at that stage is when I actually decided to sort of take um, cricket seriously. And I realized that I have a shot at making it pro was because... I was then identified for the national camps. So what they do in South Africa is if you perform well for your region or your province, um, you, you, you get identified to go to these national camps. And it's like the 30 top players in the country at that particular age group. And honestly, I, I never thought about making it in cricket. I never thought, uh, you know, I could put on the green and gold one day until I was identified at a national level. And I was like, you know what, actually, you know, this thing... <laughs> You know, this thing can actually go somewhere. And that's when I start, I stopped other sports and I, and I purely focused on, on cricket. And fortunately, that led to me being selected for the South Africa under-19s for, for two years. So the one year I played um, the series against Pakistan, against uh, Zimbabwe. And then the next year, we, we sort of had a, a national academy. And they had like the top 25 players training together, literally eat, sleep, drink cricket for five months. And after that five months, they selected um, a 15-man World Cup under-19 squad. And I was fortunate enough to, to make that team. And we traveled to Australia for the World Cup. And that was an absolutely amazing experience. Um, and we unfortunately got knocked out by the Aussies. Uh, old, old Bancroft and the boys, <laughs> they knocked us out. So, you're taking all my notes, mate. Uh, <laughs> so... That, uh, that academy you spoke of, the kind of five months before the World Cup, what, yeah. would that have been in you guys' winter or summer when you were in this yes, academy? Yes, yes, exactly. So the World Cup was in um, September, uh, October. And basically they took us in around April. And, you know, even people that were at uni had to drop uni. That, that year I didn't study. Uh, it was my first year out of high school. So literally cricket was the, the ultimate focus. And we we're all trying to you know, make it to this, to this World Cup squad, you know, and, and in that squad, you know, the guys like Quinton de Kock, Tennis de Brain, guys that are playing international cricket right now. It was, it was really a talented uh, group of guys to be around and for them to put us in that environment was, was pretty cool. Whereabouts is the, that National Academy? So the High Performance Centre is in Pretoria. Um, um, that's the Titans franchise in, 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 in South Africa that yeah. sort of runs from, from that headquarters. And yeah, we basically lived at the High Performance Center. That's where most of our Olympic gold medalists, or not gold medalists, South Africa doesn't really get that many gold medals, but our, our Olympic athletes um, train and, 
you know, there's soccer schools and sort of like the focus is on being a pro athlete. Like everyone there is just eating, sleeping, drinking, regardless of what sport it may be. Everyone's just trying to, you know, chase the dream. And it's quite a cool environment to, to be a part of. And it really does prepare you, you know, for, for the next level. I hear you. I hear you. We had a we had a look at uh, some of the squad players in there, and obviously you've mentioned uh, Quinton de Kock. There's a couple that have actually played in Scotland, so Corney Dry and uh, yes. Shailen Pilly. Yes. Did you did you speak to them at all uh, when you came over to Scotland? Um, yeah, actually I, I did. Um, m- mostly when we played against the clubs. So Corney was playing for Colton, you know, up in Edinburgh, as well as Shailen playing for. Um, what was these clubs? Stuart Stu- Yes, Jamal. Yeah. So, so we, we definitely caught up and stuff, you know, pre and post game. Obviously, during the game, there's no friends. Um, <laughs> but it was cool just to, to see guys, you know, that I sort of, we walked the journey together, you know, starting our professional careers all at the same time. And then, you know, to all, all of us playing overseas in, in Scotland, it was, it was quite cool. And, and it was nice to, to be challenged and playing against them, you know, and representing our respective clubs. Going back to that, um, that under 19s team uh, solo, you travelled to Australia uh, for that for the World Cup in 2012. Give us uh, your thoughts on that trip. How did you enjoy over there? Honestly, that was unreal. Um, I I once travelled to like overseas with a national under 17 squad to India, so I had an idea of what it was like to to play um, at an international level, you know and it was it was just so cool to see the differences in cultures, you know, having gone from India and then going to Australia. Um, it was very eye-opening. Um, and it really prepared me to play at an intense level and to really be able to make that step up into provincial and franchise cricket because, you know, you're playing against the world's best, you know. Um, in the Australia team, for instance, that knocked us out, we were playing against Bancroft, we were playing against Pattis, uh, Curtis Patterson. You know, we're playing against Stickety, Karinda Sandu, you know, Travis Head. You know, these guys are all playing international cricket right now. Um, we played against England, your Ben Duckets, you know, we're playing that team, Daniel Belgiamans. So, I mean, it was, it, was, it was awesome to be able to test yourself at an international level um, and see where you stood, you know, on, a, on an international level at that particular stage of your career. Um, it's, a, it's a cool eye-opening experience and, you know, I wouldn't have traded that for the world. So before you, sorry, so before you, you went to the Under-19 World Cup, you hadn't played a game for the Warriors or Eastern Province no, first team? nothing. Nothing, nothing. at all? Um, I hadn't played yet. Um, basically, I played age group. So what we do is we have like the provincial under-13, under-15, under-17, yeah, yeah, yeah. under-19. And then sort of from provincial, they also have the franchise, but, also, but it's in under-19 and under-23. Okay. So I only played for the age group. Um, franchise, franchise team. I hadn't yeah. played with the with the men yet as yet. Ah, yeah, okay. and I think they they did that intentionally. I think they wanted me to play out my my schoolboy career and sort of you know reach the pinnacle and do what I needed to do there yeah. before they sort of wrote me in to the to the senior men stuff. I think they they intentionally didn't want to mix the schedules or have me playing here one week and then there the next week. You know, you got to manage the players as well. So yeah. I think they did a good job at that. Yeah. And you're playing senior club cricket as well at the same time? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so okay. I, play, I started playing for the university club. However, I wasn't registered yet because I knew I was going um, to leave that, to that academy for five uh, months. Okay. 
So I, I couldn't really register for the university. I only officially registered for the university team in 2013, so after um, the World Cup. And I started uh, playing um, for, the, for the men's provincial team right after the World Cup because our season started immediately um, yeah. after the World Cup, yeah. See travelling to Australia, so did you find it much different to, to South Africa? Um, I think the wickets were a bit faster, actually. Um, than South African wickets. And in Australia, I think where we played, it, it favoured, you know, the fast, quick decks. And we didn't really experience low and slow decks. Whereas in South Africa, you kind of have both worlds, you know. So we were, we were adequately prepared for, for those wickets, I think. Prepared for Manafield. Get on that front dog. <laughs> the first time I saw Manafield, it looked like an absolute road. It looked like an Aye. absolute highway. And then, you know, sort of towards uh, this, the end of the first half of the, the season that I played, it just deteriorated as the, as the season went on. I don't know if that was maybe as a result of weather, um, but it started off as an absolute road and flat <laughs> run. <laughs> so you had the head coach of that team was Ray Jennings. How was, uh, how was he? Was he uh, a very strict coach or how did you get on with him? Extremely, extremely strict. You know, I call him the general. You know, he's, he's, an, he's honestly a drill sergeant. And in a way, you know, I know a lot of players and a lot of people have criticized him for how hard he comes at, you know, young players. But I feel like that prepares you for, for, for the real world. You know, it prepares you for, for international cricket and prepares you to play in front of people, you know, because, you know, you don't want to get to franchise cricket or international cricket and all of a sudden be surprised when someone criticizes you for the first time. Um, and, and yeah, he, he got his rewards. He ended up winning the World Cup with the under-19s in, in 2014. So it just shows that, you know, what he was preaching, it, it worked. Did you, did you just go into that World Cup thinking you could win? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, I had no doubts that we could go far and go deep. Um, the players that we had and also our results leading up to, to that World Cup, you know, we did really well. We won the Pakistan series. We won the Zimbabwe series. Um, you know, we had played against England and beat them as well. It was just unfortunate the way we, we went out. Um, I think that we could have done better in that game. But, you know, that's how the, the cookie crumbles. And we bounced back in the third, fourth playoff and pulled New Zealand out for 70. And then we got our bronze, we got our bronze medal. <laughs> yeah. Any wickets that day? Yeah, I did actually. I got a three for on that day. Oh, Dude, no. I actually got three for seven in five overs. <laughs> like, my best stats ever. <laughs> Quite, uh, quite expensive though, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, you know, man, I'm quite, a, I'm quite a stingy, prudent customer, so. <laughs> how's, uh, how's Quentin de Kock? I've heard he's not the cleverest of uh, lads. <laughs> yeah, I think he's improved over the years, actually. Um, uh, they definitely have given him a lot of media training. Um, and, you know, we all know, we all love his interviews. It's quite entertaining, you know, but what a lad he is and what a player he is. And, I love what he what he had to say. I think there was um, someone that like criticized to David him Warner. I think no, to David Warner. <laughs> I think someone 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 criticized him about his education. You know, that he didn't finish high school, or you know. And then he was like, you know what? I've got a master's degree in cricket, so screw you. Like, <laughs> literally, those were his words. You know, what a legend he is. What a player as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think he's done quite well, hasn't he? <laughs> he's done all right, mate. So obviously, um, so off the back of this World Cup, you were basically called regarding your action, mate. How did uh, how did that all come about? Mate, that was absolutely wild. So what happened was, 
at the World Cup, you know, they had all of these high promotion cameras at all of our games. Um, and, and obviously, most of the games were also televised. <clears throat> and I had never had any issues, um, you know, with televised games or, or any accusations or whatever. But they had these, these high promotion cameras at our games, you know, these special cams. And actually, the guy that, that cited us, you know, there was, there was a few players. What happened was the World Cup, so it ended, okay? And some of the players went home, you know, to their respective countries. But then there was another group of players from, from all over. So from our team, there was three or four of us from other teams as well, you know, like three or four out of, the, out of maybe a six or seven-man bowling attack. And we were all called and we flew to Canberra. So the World Cup was based in Brisbane and Townsville. And they, they flew a group of us to Canberra. So obviously I thought this was quite weird. Like everyone else is going home and here we are going to Canberra, you know, for, for a nice little vacation while everyone else goes home. And we, we get to the Australian Institute of Sport. And we, when we get there, we, we literally don't get told anything until we get there. So we don't know like what's happening. We don't know why we're going there. We get there and all of a sudden we start seeing, you know, players from the other countries that we played against and, you know, now they sit us down and they're like, okay, guys, this is the Australian Institute of Sport and this is what we're going to be doing with you guys. We're just going to be running a few tests and blah, 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 blah. So the next day, so we sleep over there and then the next day they, they give us the setup in, in like this indoor cricket setup and they put all these mini reflectors all over your body and they basically put this like sheet of, 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 of like paper or like plastic and there's blocks on it. And... Basically, each block represents a kind of delivery. So, for instance, it's one block is like Yorker to a right-hander, and then the other block is Yorker to a left-hander. Then there's another block just above that, maybe just above the stumps, and that's like stock ball, right-hander, stock ball, left-hander. And then there's like a high one, two red blocks, and that's like bouncer, right-hand, bouncer, left-hand. So the, so the guy, and they put a speed gun there, and the guy's like, okay, um, run in and bowl, Yorker right-hander and we have to like try and hit the block and then he's like okay stock ball left-hander and you have to try it so this is testing your skills actually <laughs> can you actually hit the blocks more than anything else you know you don't want to embarrass yourself people see the block <laughs> um, and then and then they have the speed gun there because they want to make sure that you're reaching the speed that you would in the in the match you know because I mean there was a, there was another guy I think it was a Pakistani guy and he bowled and in the games it was like 140s Okay, and then in the in the in the testing was going like one twenty, and like, I was like, "Mate, you've seen your speeds; like you can do better than that." You know? Like, so so they were really on us uh, about that, and and actually, you know, they were obviously testing all of our actions, and the guy that 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 cited all of us there was actually the guy who cited Johan Boeta. I don't know if you guys remember. Yeah, he, he had a bit of a he had a bit of a thing with the Aussies and the and the action and everything, and that guy was. So proud of himself. He was like, "Yeah, I'm the guy that excited It must be an Australian thing because wasn't it um, Daryl Hare that started on Muralitharan? I'm sure it was that umpire that started on Muralitharan. It must be an Aussie thing. Clearly, yeah. it's an Aussie thing. Thank God, I only have one Aussie friend, so I'm not afraid to offend them. <laughs> so, did, so you had never been called for for chucking at all ever before. Never. I played TV games. You know, we also have like a a high schools T20 competition yeah. which is televised. Never had any issues up until then. But on these hyper-motion cameras now, you know, they were picking up inconsistencies in my action. And as a result, so it wasn't like my action was illegal every delivery. It was just yeah. 
in, it was just inconsistent. So for some deliveries, it would be slightly over, but then for majority of the deliveries, you know, I was actually doing fine. So that's how, that's how like minute the, the, the difference actually was. It wasn't easy to, to go through that really. Yeah. I thought it was another South African that went with you to that. So was it, was it Sabrian or Sabayran? Yeah, so there was four of us. So it was myself, um, Prenilin Subrian, who's, a, who's a, an off-spinner for um, the Dolphins. Then there was a guy named Calvin Savage. He also plays for the Dolphins. Another guy named Jan Freilink. He actually plays for Namibia right now. Um, so right. the four of us, the four of us went uh, from the South African group. And Shailen Pillay. So five of us actually went from the South African group. And then out of us five, myself and, and Prenilin were then, you know, deemed illegal. And it was, it was heartbreaking, mate, because what had happened is right after the Canberra experience, I obviously came back to South Africa and I started my first class career. And, mate, I started like a house on fire. Yeah, you know, like yeah. My first couple of games, I was taking five for six for, you know, like yeah. seven for even, you know. And I was in line to be selected for the Warriors now um, to make my debut. And that was to replace Makai and Tini, you know. It was between myself and a guy named uh, Aya Kramanya who's played for Warriors quite frequently. Yeah. And, dude, I was chilling on a beach. You know, I get this phone call um, with my mates after a successful weekend on the cricket field, and I'm just chilling out on a Monday. And I get this call, and they're like, listen, um, you know, you're, they've deemed your action illegal, and you can't play cricket, you're banned from the game. Um, you have to start working on rehabilitating your action. And now I was also supposed to play test series against England under 19 test series coming up, you know, um, in Cape Town. And then obviously I couldn't play that either. So it was, it was heartbreaking, mate. You know, and it was tough. It was tough. Yeah. I looked at the, your uh, stats. So you're right. You had 33 first-class wickets in your first eight games. So you're averaging <coughs> over, over four wickets a game. For mate, your first I started eight. like a house on fire, mate. Literally. <laughs> it, was, it was so disappointing to, to have that momentum in my career. And then all of a sudden... You know, I have to stop. And because I was so young, I didn't really understand it because it had never been an issue before. And now yeah. all of a sudden, it, it became a thing, you know. And I did, I, you know, I was depressed. I went into a depression because at that stage, man, I wasn't as mature as I am now. And I just thought the world was ending. You know, like I thought everything I had worked for, all the sacrifices I had made, you know, to be there. I wasn't even studying at that stage. You know, I'd sacrificed my education, I sacrificed so much for this cricket dream to, to happen. And then, boom, once it gets going, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I have to hit the brakes pretty much. So, did they, was that released quite publicly? Was that just released in the press? Mate, did everyone know about it? Mate, literally after that phone call, I look on News 24, which is like a national um, news station here in South Africa. Boom, it's on the news, bro. Like, I was like, how did these people even get this information so fast? Like, you know, and I, I have a feeling it was probably the Aussies who, you know, put pressure for it to be released publicly. Because now all of a sudden, whenever you would Google my name, it's the first thing that comes up, you know, some negative illegal action or has to go to rehab. And a lot of people don't know, like, cricket rehab. It's not like drug rehab, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so when people Google your name, they automatically, like, what, you were in a rehab for drugs? Like, what, what, what happened? You know, and I'm like, no, 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 it was a bowling action. Like, so yeah, man, um, it was disappointing for it to be sort of put in the media in that kind of way, especially for us. You know, we were kids. We were 19 years old. 
you know, it, it was yeah, it was. I don't think it was handled correctly, to be honest. Who who helped you out with the, with uh, the kind of rehab process, mate? Was there were you appointing the specific coaches and bowling coaches and things, or how did it how did that go? So what had happened was, um, you know, obviously I was super stressed about my contract, about my career, you know, at that point. But luckily, you know, Eastern Province and Warriors, you know, they retained me, so they they signed me, they still signed me on a contract, um, and that obviously gave me a, a bit of peace of mind in that they That's were cool. willing to invest in me and give me the opportunity to figure things out, you know, and, and get on the road that I needed to, to get onto. And at the time, the coaches that really had a big impact and influence on me, working on my action, was a coach named Pete Werther. So he's been the Warriors coach and he's the current Eastern Province coach. Another coach named uh, Eddie Burrell. He's been Ireland's yeah, national coach, cool. England under-19 coach, uh, Warriors assistant coach. I think he coaches Hans at the moment. And then another coach, he was our SAA coach, um, Vinny Barnes, um, Vincent Barnes. So those were the, the three coaches that had really, you know, helped me through that period of time. And it, it literally took about a year, you know, to, to rehabilitate my, my action and get me to a point where um, I was competitive enough to play at first-class level again. You think about it when you're running in tribal bumper. You think, am I going to throw this one? Or it's yeah, it makes, you, it, makes you, it makes you second-guess yourself. And, you know, yeah. the funny thing is a lot of the players, you know, as nasty as it may be, they feed off that and they and they say these things in your ear and they call you out of chaka. It's terrible, mate. It's terrible, you know. Especially, you know, I found that I got the abuse even more when I was so 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 what happened was then I registered for university and I was trying to work my way through the university team and like sort of get my confidence back and then yeah. start at the club level and work my way up. And um <clears throat> funny enough, in my own region, our club league, you know. The, the teams that we play against, they were the ones that were giving it the most. Oh, <laughs> you know, the guys, the guys that knew me, like, on a sort of personal level, you know. So you uh, must have played a few games then for the Warriors before you came to Scotland. Must have been, what, four or five years between getting called and coming over to Scotland? Yeah, so the reason why I only came to Scotland now was because of the university thing. Ah, so, so in the off-season in South Africa, um, I would be studying, you know. You know, I dominated there first before I, I was able to earn that recognition again at, at higher levels and that was a, a mission for me to prove myself and to prove why the Warriors in Eastern Province had you know sort of taken a bet on me um, figuring this thing out and, and being able to you know come back so to say and, and fortunately you know that worked out for me. So seeing, seeing South Africa if you're on a pro contract does, does it only run six months in the cricket season? So no, it runs for a year so for ah, 12 okay. months. Yeah. Um, but so so in season obviously is from September till sort of May April. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then in the off season you 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 training with your um, strength and conditioning coach, your physios, your bios. Yeah. And um, you sort of uh, need to be at work from like nine a.m. to twelve, and then sort of from from one o'clock onwards you you you're free in the off season. And you can go to school and whatever. So when you're at you uni, university, university, you know yeah, some yeah. guys were were getting like a property licenses and ah, okay. you know doing whatever outside of, outside of cricket. Some yeah. guys would, would actually also go to some of the schools yeah. and do some coaching, you know, with, with some of the, the, the players at, at school. So that, that was part of our sort of duties and stuff in the off-season. Ah, okay. What did you study at uni? So, so at uni, I studied um, economics and law. So I've got a bachelor's in economics and law. And then I've got two certificates um, as well from um, the University of Cape Town. Uh, in investment management and also business development management. 
So I think I took the studying thing quite seriously uh, <laughs> after that whole that whole ordeal um, with with my bowling action because that was a big scare for me, you know. Uh, then I started thinking, well, you know, what do I what 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 do I do if I if if this thing doesn't work out? What do I do if I don't come back? What do I do if I'm not good enough? You know, because it was it was hard in the beginning. You know, when I came back, I wasn't the same player that I was before, and people would constantly remind me about that. You know. Um, so it was it wasn't easy, but so did you? Without getting too technical, did you spend more time batting as well during that period? Did you feel that you improved yes. as a bat? Yes, hundred um, percent. I definitely had to recreate myself as a player. You know, coming in as just a pure strike bowler, bowling pretty quick. You know, knocking guys over, um, and then I had to sort of mold myself into a bowling all rounder. You know, and, and be able to contribute with the bat because initially when I came back, my pace wasn't genuinely made. Like, it knocked my confidence. Mate, I was so low, it's unbelievable. And everyone to this day also says it might have been a mistake to, to put me out so early right after I got cleared again. Because, uh, yeah. yes, I had worked on my action and my, my arm was completely straight, but I hadn't got the competitive confidence back. You know, I hadn't sort of worked out how do I generate pace now with this new action. So it was a bit of a blunder by the coaches trying to push me to play again because yeah. um, I think that they needed to justify my contract. So I think that's why they sort of pushed me to, to play. And that was even at, so that I was playing for the under 23 Warriors in, in, that, in that tournament and made it was, it was heartbreaking, mate. The ball would literally bounce twice before it got to the batsman. That was just like terrible, mate. Terrible. But you must have got back to some level reasonably quickly, though, if you were back so, playing for the Warriors so, and stuff. And, mate, I was even at a, at a stage, so it came to the end of the season and, and the contracts were coming, you know, to be renewed. And they actually, so they offered me another contract. And, mate, at that time, I was, I was hating cricket so much that I, I rejected the contract. I declined the contract. I, cricket wasn't bringing me happiness anymore. You know, when I was playing the games... You know, it used to be the captain would give me the ball and have all the confidence that I was going to get the wicket, you know, the yeah, yeah. guy. And sort of now when, the, when I was getting the ball, it's kind of like, you know, like, yeah, like <laughs> we, you, you're bowling just because you have to bowl, you know. It wasn't like that, that feeling of this guy backs you. It was more a feeling of like, I don't know what's about to happen. This ball could come through or it could bounce three times, you know, like we don't know. So that, that, that knocked me quite hard and, and cricket wasn't, it wasn't bringing me joy. It wasn't bringing me happiness. And I, and I declined the contract. And I told them that I want to focus on my studies. Then one of the, guy, the managers from, from, um, from the cricket, his name is Christo Isau. He's still one of the managers there now. He said, listen, Soto, you know, we, we can't just let you disappear. We can't just let you be this guy one day and all of a sudden the next you, you can't disappear. Those were literally yeah. his words. He said, if you want to make studying your priority, that's fine. You know, if there's a time where you have an exam and there's a game on the same day, we can put in your contract that you need to be at your university commitment. But we don't want you to just disappear completely from, from the system. Yeah. And funny enough, mate, I don't know what it was, but after that meeting, so I signed the contract. I said, well, okay, cool. These guys are going to pay me to study. <laughs> like, you know, he's going to say <laughs> no to that. I'm just going to be a paid student, you know. Um, and, then, and then I went to work in the off-season. And that very next season, I was the number one bowler in the provincial uh, 50 over competition. And that's when I, because they weren't even selecting me for, for three day, four day cricket. They only selected me for, for white ball cricket. 
and I ended up being the number one bowler in the country. And then I was like, actually, like, you know, maybe I've got a bit of something here. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not quite done. And, and from there, I think when I got that confidence back to, to actually see, you know, I can, I can perform and produce, I started maybe focusing a little bit more on the white ball stuff, focused on the T20 stuff, <clears> the 50 over stuff, before I worked my way back into the first class stuff. And unfortunately, I kicked on from, from there. Yeah. And then you won your big move to Aberdeenshire. And then I went to Aberdeenshire. Was <laughs> that your first overseas gig solo? Yeah, it was. It was. What did you think when you got... Well, first of all, how did the move come about, mate? Well, I got a message from um, an old friend who was playing for Aberdeenshire. Uh, Chris Vensky um, actually sent me a message. <laughs> and he asked me would I be interested in playing for, for his club in Aberdeen. I and, need to you stop know, you there, Solo. I need to stop you. Was Chris Vensky as good as he says he was back in the day? Honestly, yeah, it's the truth. He was. <laughs> he was genuinely a good player, mate. Like, oh, no, I know he's a good I player, played, but I didn't realise he was the next AB De Villiers. Mate, he was. He was. He was actually. He was also part of those, you know, thirty-man camps where you're the top thirty players in the in the country. At yeah. that time, though, he was a a batting all rounder and he bowled quite sharp seamers, actually. You know, so he was. He was like a Ben Stokes, genuinely like a Ben Stokes. That is wild. And then so, 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 just, just, so, just quietly, I take it he had a room on his own because Vensky snores. So there's no <laughs> way he could have shared the room with anyone. He must have had his own room. Maybe, maybe I was lucky that I didn't have to share any, any rooms with him on, on our tours and stuff. Uh, but definitely he was a really good player, mate. Unfortunately, I think he got like a bad knee injury. And then that obviously impacted his seam bowling, um, and and yeah, just it, it it changed him also as a player, and perhaps he just didn't you know overcome that as as maybe as he would have wanted to. Yeah. But but for sure at a schoolboy level he was, he was really good. Hey, he was a serious player. See for maybe it was like two or three seasons before you arrived at Aberdeenshire, he scored so many runs. He must have scored yeah, nice. four or five hundreds in a season. On one of the mate, seasons, for sure. Mate, you know, the talent was clearly there, mate. The talent yeah. was clearly there. And maybe the, the Scotland move, because I know once he also finished studying, um, he, he went to Scotland, he moved to Scotland, and he had quite a specialised sort of degree. And um, I, I heard that he had the potential to, to kick on and, and you know, play for Scotland, potentially. I don't know what necessarily happened, but yeah, Chris, Chris was definitely a talented player. Yeah. Yeah, he was definitely knocking on the door of kind of national recognition at one point and it was that season yeah I remember it scored a good few uh, hundreds um, yeah. so yeah so see, um, so, so you I, obviously arrive in Aberdeen off the plane I think I was at the first training session you were at what, what kind of temperature was it I think I remember you had gloves man, on and a hat man, it was freezing it was, I mean people you know people tell you like it's going to be cold it's going to be cold and you're like yeah it'll be cold but I'll be fine and then you actually get there and you're like freezing your balls off mate like it, is, it was ridiculously cold, ridiculously cold. Uh, I struggled. I, I, I really struggled. I think my first net ever, you bowled me out through the gate, actually. Do you remember that? <laughs> so, Alan, no, I was going to. You'll have that written down in his notes somewhere. Mate, guaranteed. I was waiting for the ball. I was waiting for the ball to turn and it didn't. And I'm going <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate. Yeah, so the, I think a couple of years before we had Aberdeenshire Lasiba, who's one of the Warriors guys. Had you, had you spoken to him or tapped him up before you came over? 
Yeah, I did actually. Um, so after Chris messaged me, I obviously told my agent, look, um, there's someone that I personally know um, that's playing at this club and I think that will help me you know, integrate into life there. So I think I want to go play there. And I know that Lesiba had also played there before, you know, and he had nothing but good things to say about the club, nothing but good things to say about Aberdeen. And, and you know, it was, it was a done deal from there. Um, so, you know, the right guys sort of got into my ear and, you know, I ended up in, in Aberdeen and I had quite a good time until I got sick. Yeah. I was going to say, um, you shared accommodation with the overseas amateur. Yes, I did. Mr. Callum McInnes. How, is, uh, how did uh, that flat work? Was it, did it work like clockwork? She's angry um, in the flat as he is on a cricket pitch. <laughs> Look, it was actually... <laughs> Jeez, mate, it was, it was, it was a bit of a, a mission in the beginning. Um, but then we eventually got into some kind of routine, like who does the dishes when and um, between Callum and I. So he was, he was quite a cool guy to live with. Obviously, he loved these sports. He loved these New Zealand sports. Like, so patriotic about, you know, New Zealand. Fishing and stuff like that. And New Zealand cricket, you know. He would literally wear his New Zealand jerseys wherever we went. Like, you know, like as if it was permanently tattooed on him. Um, super, super, super prideful about where he comes from. But uh, a really, a really fun guy, cool guy. And it definitely helped me integrate because he had been there the year before. You know, yeah. so he, yeah. he sort of knew how things worked. He, he helped me with the coaching stuff, you know, getting through to the kids. Um, he, he understood the culture a lot more, better than I did uh, at the time. And that was nice for me to be able to, to live with someone who had been there before. How did you find the kind of, obviously, the standard of playing Scotland in the league cricket? How did you get on? And even just the grounds and the, and the travelling, what did you make of it also? I was actually pleasantly surprised. You know, the, the club standard in Scotland is, is actually better than the club standard in, in South Africa, you know, I would say, without a doubt. I think the, the difference lies in what happens after uh, club cricket, you know, because in South Africa we have our clubs, and then from clubs, you have your provincial academies. And then from the academies, you have your provincial men's team. Then from the provincial men's team, you have your, your, your professional franchise. So the, I think in terms of like the actual club standard in Scotland, it's, it's really, really good, especially the batting. Um, the guys come out, they play their shots, you know, they play aggressively. You know, there was some time where I'd bowl to someone and you'd play a shot and I'd be like, geez, mate, that's a freaking good shot. Like... You know, you're just you're surprised at how, how high the standard actually is. And that showed me, you know, the potential that Scottish cricket actually has. And it was a, it was a place where I was going to be challenged, for sure. Mate, you performed pretty well. I know you only played nine games, but you averaged 35 with the bat. I don't know if you, did you expect to average 35 with the bat? Uh, yeah, my, my, so my, my goal was to, to average um, above 35 with the bat and then below... Um, sort of 25 with the ball. Um, that was my goal going into, into, into Scotland because essentially for my first season, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I was obviously hoping to improve on those numbers sort of second season, you know, playing in Scotland once I had known, you know, how to work out, how to get wickets, where to bowl, you know. Don't bowl cross seamers. Excuse me? Don't bowl cross seamers. I think we played you in your very first game or it might have been second game of the season and I was opening the bat and, and all you did was run in and bowl cross seamer yeah, half volley so I was, was like this is happy days big fast bowler bowling <laughs> cross seamers that was, that was, so that was mainly because of the ball 
um, I don't know if you know, but in South Africa, we ah, use yeah. the, kookaburra. The, the kookaburra balls. And yeah, the yeah. seam is way different. It's way different. Combine, combine that seam with the, the coldness of, of Scotland and trying to grip the ball, you know. So I found that when you actually try and ball seam up, especially with a new ball, it's super slippery. And when your hands are still, when your hands are still like frozen, you know, it's, it's hard. Like it's actually, it's tough to, to bowl with a new ball in, in Scotland, especially the, I, think, what, I don't know what the ball was called in, in Scotland, but I think Dukes. it's similar to a, to a Dukes, right? So say, basically, basically it the is the Dukes, ball, yeah. yeah. So the, the seam is a lot less um, per, like pronounced or engraved in the ball. So it, it actually does make a difference. I never realized it would make such a difference. You know, I was at cricket ball to cricket ball, like, you know, you can bowl with any people, but it really does make a difference. And I think for me, I hadn't built that level of confidence with the seam up just as yet. So I just wanted to sort of hit my lines, hit my lengths, and, and sort of just do my job, go under twos, and hopefully get wickets through building pressure. Um, so it, it took some adjusting, you know. It's, it's, you really can't just rock up and, and play. You really need to learn the place that you're playing in and what works there. So, so well, obviously... Come back to Scotland. Uh, don't overthink I want to it. So I've, got you... unfinished, I've, got, I've got unfinished business there, mate. Yeah, well, business. Make sure and bowl the seam up. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe second half of the season you'll catch Oh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you mentioned earlier about if you Google your name, it comes up about the, 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 the bowling action. However, yeah. now it, it comes up, unfortunately, about your, your battle with uh, Guillain Barr syndrome, yeah. um, which is obviously a very kind of rare. Um, disease which you'd, unfortunately um, you've caught. Can you give us a little bit about that and about even the lead up to, to, to this kind of terrible incident? So, and literally the day before I fell ill, we played against our bro uh, at home and I had quite a good game that day. I think I took two or three sticks and scored a 50, took the game to the last over, yeah. um, you know, and, and you know, in a struggling season, that game was so important. And, yeah. you know, um, you know the, so we unfortunately lose the game. And I was having a chat with, with Vian Liver um, after the game about, you know, what a player he is, first of all. Um, and and yeah, we were just well. talking about our, our careers and what we want to do when we get back to South Africa and, like, how we want to establish ourselves properly at franchise cricket. Because we had, me and him had sort of been both players that are in and out of our franchise teams hadn't necessarily secured, you know, our spot. And we were talking about and having this long conversation. And the next morning, I wake up, and this was the day of the, the, the Cricket World Cup final, you know, New Zealand versus, versus England. And I noticed when I was making myself breakfast in the morning that the, my grip was a bit weak, and my hands were a, a bit weak, and my wrists were a bit sore. So I, I asked Callum, you know, how did he feel, you know, um, after yesterday's game because I thought maybe just because I had a long day on the field you know I, I bowled my 10 and I batted all the way to the last over so I've got that card up I... solo you bowled Excuse 8 me? overs I've got the, the card up from that game you bowled 8 overs 2 for 17 and you made 54 with a, 52 with a bat so yeah, yeah and I remember you batted so, throughout, basically throughout the innings because you lost a lot of quick wickets and you came in and yeah. you, sort of, you batted the whole way through so yeah, it would have been a tough game yeah, for you. You must, have, you must have been knackered. Exactly, mate. And that's exactly how I was feeling, you know. And I, and I asked Callum, how did he feel? I'm not sure what his numbers were on the day. But um, I was like, how do you feel uh, after yesterday's game? And he was like, no, he's also feeling, you know, quite tired. So I thought, okay, for me to be feeling like this, um, it's, it's, 
it's it's not maybe it's not unusual you know um sometimes when you do bad for long your wrist do get sore and and you know I, I didn't read too much into it but because New Zealand was playing against England um Callum won as patriotic as he is he wanted to go watch the game at a sports pub and um I was like I was feeling quite tired you know and and, and dehydrated even my last tweet you know before I went to hospital was I feel super dehydrated and um Callum left and he went to go for all the um, Twitter fans out there <laughs> you know, Callum left and he went to go watch the game at, at the sports pub and I just decided to kick it at home and watch from the couch so I'm watching the game and um, I want to get up at the, at the innings break to make myself something to eat you know some lunch and as I get up off the couch I literally have this like um, wobbly sensation in my legs you know my legs almost like buckle like I, I try and describe it in, in the way of if you ever have seen a giraffe or like a deer get born, and as the, the sort of the baby comes out, it like wobbles, you know, before it gets in its stride. And I had that kind Dale of Dale Sweeney running into bull. <laughs> <laughs> you had to throw that in there. So I literally had that 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 sensation, you know. Um, I thought it was quite weird, but also didn't read too much into it because I then got into my stride and made myself something to eat, went back to the couch. So obviously I watched the game, all the drama that unfolded, you know, the super over, the archer, the, the everything, you know, the capital. And, um, and Nis, it was Jimmy Nisham as well. He was, he was batting in that super over. And the Ben Stokes, obviously the ball hitting his bats and going to the boundary. You know, I literally, you know, saw that all unfold. But as I'm watching this game, my body is slowly deteriorating as the day goes along, you know. And, and sort of, fortunately, you know, New Zealand lost that game because if New Zealand had won, Callum probably would have gone out to, to celebrate that, that victory, you know, and he wouldn't have been home at the apartment later on to basically save my life. You know, obviously we didn't know that this was how it was going to play out. Um, so Callum comes back, him and his girlfriend, and uh, I sort of tell them how I'd been feeling throughout the day. And sort of by dinner time, I was so weak that I, I was struggling to open a packet of of crisps couldn't even open a packet of crisps and <clears throat> I told them how I was feeling and you know I just said I wasn't I wasn't trying to panic you know I just thought that perhaps I've got like some kind of food poisoning or my body is just a bit weak it's a bit you know like it's been a lot of cricket it's been a lot of coaching the weather's been bad you know maybe my body's just reacting badly to all of this yeah so the time comes for us to, to go to bed and Callum so, so we all want to get up and go to our rooms and as I'm trying to get up off the couch, I realize that I can't move. Like I'm struggling to, to lift myself up. So I talk, I'm like, Callum, I need your help to get up off the couch. And Callum's like, nah, solo lad, like stop playing games, just get up, you know? And I was like, bro, like I genuinely can't get up. Um, so, Callum, so Callum comes and he lifts my legs you know, on the couch. And he realizes it's like a dead weight feeling. And then he was like, okay. So I was like, you know what, Callum? Let's do this, bro. Get my, my, my blankets and stuff from, from my room. I'll, these were literally my words. I'll sleep on that couch tonight, and I'm sure tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll be fine. <laughs> like, those were literally my words. I was like, just get my stuff, and I'll sleep on the couch. So Callum obliges, gets my stuff, and, you know, him and his girlfriend go to bed, <clears throat> and then I go to bed on the couch. Around 2 a.m., you know, I have this feeling I want to go to the bathroom. And, and take a leak 
So obviously now I'm so weak that I can't even move basically. But I try and like muster up some sort of energy and strength. And as I'm doing this, mate, I end up falling off the couch onto the floor. So now I'm like laying on the floor and I can't move. And I'm like, okay, I think I'm in trouble. <laughs> so I start screaming, mate. And I'm like, Callum, Callum, help, Callum, Callum. I'm on the ground, Callum. I don't know what's wrong, Callum. Doesn't hear me. Callum, Callum, help, Callum. Doesn't hear me. And now we had this little um, coffee table uh, next to our couch. And my cell phone was on, on top of that coffee table. And obviously now I needed to try and, and, and get my phone so that I could phone him. So now I literally do this like combat roll, like crawl on the ground. And I don't know if you guys have watched um, Wolf of Wall Street. You know, the, the part <laughs> where, he's like, where he's trying to get out of his car to, the, to his house. <laughs> literally, that is me. Literally, that is me, mate. I'm trying to crawl towards my phone. Um, and lucky enough, you know, I, I, I reached the phone, but I literally knocked my phone off the table and it like rolls a bit further. You can't make this stuff up, mate. Literally, <laughs> I was literally like, I was like, oh, being for real, you know? So I call, 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 get to my phone. Luckily, I, I call Callum and he answers. And like I say, fortunately, he was there that evening because sometimes <clears> he would go stay over at, at his birth place, you know? And, and he wouldn't be there. And, um, you know, he answers. I'm like, Callum, I'm on the floor. Don't know what's wrong. Call an ambulance now. And fortunately, his girlfriend at the time was from Aberdeen. So she knew exactly what numbers to call. And, you know, within 30 minutes, <clears throat> the ambulance was there. You know, next thing, I'm in the hospital. You know, next thing, doctors are asking me questions and I have to phone my family. And next thing, I'm passed out and I wake up in ICU, <laughs> like paralyzed. I can only move my eyes. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's how it will unfold I was speaking obviously sort of sort of folklist and then obviously I, my brother is good friends of Solo and I kind of know a bit about the story but the bit I find hard to believe is that things like this just happen there's no like reason it's not like you know if you fall over and bump your head then there's a resulting condition or something genetically this this just occurred out of like yeah it just seemed to happen, like like you say, in a day, you've gone from a big, strong, professional cricketer to waking up in intensive care with only the ability to blink. Like, it's just uh, awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mate. And the thing is, obviously, prior to me contracting this disease, I had no idea what Guillain-Barr syndrome was. I had never known anyone that had had Guillain-Barr syndrome I didn't understand this whole thing of my, you know, immune system attacking my nervous system and it's autoimmune. And, you know, I was like, what, what is this? I felt like I was a healthy chap. You know, I looked after myself, you know, I was weighing 85 kgs, pretty athletic to yeah. go into like weighing 59 kgs, <clears throat> you know, sticks and bones within a couple of days, you know, like that was ridiculous. I was scared, mate. I was very scared. I, I couldn't communicate. I couldn't yeah. communicate my fear because I, only my eyes blinked. So, you know, I felt like I was trapped in my own body. I was like a prisoner in my own body in that I couldn't tell people how I felt. It was, yeah. it was horrible. It was horrible. How long, did, how long did that go on for, Solo, where you couldn't actually like, communicate the way you wanted to? So I was in the intensive care in the ICU for three months. And, you know, for that three months, I couldn't talk, <clears throat> I couldn't eat, 
I couldn't, you know, move. Um, I was completely paralyzed, had a tube from my nose to my stomach. That's how I got my medicine and like my water and my feed. Um, obviously, I was ventilated on life support. Uh -huh. couldn't breathe for myself. Um, and a lot of complications arose within me having the GBS. You know, I got tuberculosis, so my lungs were bleeding. You know, um, they had to like use this, the tracheostomy tube to like pump the blood out of my lungs. Um, I had my liver failed, my kidney failed. Mate, I don't know how I'm alive. Like I had to go on dialysis. It's, 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 it's ridiculous how you can literally, like Liam has just said, go from one day being on a cricket field 100% to the next day, basically on life support, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. Doctors having to put you in an induced coma, you know, not knowing which condition to treat first. Yeah. You know, it was, it was wild, mate. Wild. No, it just shows you what character you are, though, getting through that and how you've come out of it to the other side. You know, like you're looking fit and healthy now. Obviously, it's just the start of getting back to where you want to be. But what an amazing story to be struck down with that and come come out of it the way you have. Amazing. Thank you, bro. And, and you know, that that's, you know, it's not just me. I, I always say, like, I'm so lucky that I have the support system I do have. I have good mates. I, have, I know good people that have continued to show up, you know, and <clears throat> not just in words, you know, and actual and physically be there with me bedside and actually show me the support, you know, and the love, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, my friends, my family, my girlfriend, it, it, it's been unbelievable. And I never could have imagined getting the amount of support that I have got, you know, going through what I'm going through and it being so unexpected, you know, and hitting us all from, from, from nowhere, mate. And like, you know, as a result of that support, as a result of people, you know, sitting bedside next to me, it, it helped my mental health a lot because when I was in that condition in ICU and I couldn't communicate and only my eyes could move, there's so much going on in your mind, so much confusion, so much uncertainty, yeah. you know, and 10 minutes feels like 10 hours, you know, like yeah. it, it's the longest of days <clears throat> possible, especially when no one is actually there to, to, to sort of try and communicate with you. We had like this board <clears throat> and it had letters from, a to Z, and someone would have to, so if we're trying to, if I'm trying to tell someone that I'm hot, you know, we have to like go through the letters and I'll blink twice. And then that means, you know, it's the correct letter. So that's yeah. H. And then we start again and then we go to O and I blink and then it's O. And then we go to T, like that's how we were communicating in the beginning before my nerves started um, recovering and the, and, the, and the treatment kicked in. Yeah. You know, so it was a tedious, tedious process, even for other people to not feel like they know how to communicate with me. You know, it, it was a tough situation. It wasn't, it wasn't an easy thing. And, you know, people have stood through with me throughout that. And, you know, I'm thankful for that support because without that support, I honestly probably would have gone insane. Genuinely. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, big, big Dale must have kept you, kept you entertained. He was, he he was up there a fair bit, was he not? Yeah, I think, I think he mostly came to visit me to come blow off steam from work. <laughs> I was I was the, the person he could come vent to about his office days. So, yeah, yeah. I think I remember you saying uh, so. Like obviously you had to relearn or start again in terms of even little things like swallowing, eating, moving your like physically moving again. Yeah. Um, yeah. It must it must get frustrating about about how kind of slow that process is. 
mate, super frustrating. And, you know, for the people that don't know how GBS, you know, affects you, it, it burns your nerves from the outside in. So the first thing that, that went was obviously my hands and my feet, right? But when you recover, it's from the inside out. So over time, you know, my, my neck started being able to move. My facial expression started coming back. My mouth started moving a little bit. Even though I couldn't talk, I could sort of mime words or mime, you know, what I was feeling. And I literally, I was like a baby. We were actually saying I'm like one big baby because I was also wearing nappies. I was wearing pampers, mate. So we would do it all Just, just borrow some of Richards, did you? Ah. <laughs> no comment, no comment. <laughs> yeah. so, so literally it was like being a baby and having to start from, from scratch again. And I just remember like seeing people drinking water and I would have literally dreams of, of drinking water again. You know, feeling how the water would be going down my throat because for so long I couldn't eat, I couldn't drink, you know. Like it was, it was, oh, it was, it was. Terrible! It was terrible. It was terrible. But like Hoggy said, mate, you got through that, and I, and and you're you've seen seen some really dark days. How did you find uh, like the medical care and attention you got, mate? Was were you how were you looked after? Mate, it was life saving in actual fact because the doctor on 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 questioning me, you know, as I got to the hospital, I remember him saying that I suspect. It is GBS. Obviously, I don't know what that was. Um, and he said, I'm going to treat it as that. You know, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm going to treat it as that. And luckily enough, he hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And I got the right treatment um, for me. And there were two types of treatment. The one um, is called the, the, the IVIG. And they basically take, put a line through your neck, to your heart, and they inject you with um, other people's cells. And those cells will go and fight your rogue cells that have caused your, your nerves to be damaged. And then the second form of the treatment is they use that same line through your neck um, to sort of suck out your blood plasma, put it in a washing machine, and then sort of re-plug um, those, those cells back into your body. So it's like fresh cells going into your body. Kind of like the Lance Armstrong. <laughs> yeah. 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 The, the plasma exchange. So they do that. So, so after, you know, that started kicking in um, and obviously the, 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 the nurses, the doctors, literally at my bed in the morning, every single morning, there would be like 10 doctors standing around my bed. I felt like I was like a, in, an, in an exhibition or something, you know, because I feel like they had never really seen many people affected by GBS. And actually Fiona, who, who studies medicine, told me that this GBS question would would come, up, would come out a lot in, in exams, which had never actually seen someone who physically had it. You know, so every single day, there would be 10 doctors at my bed discussing, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna treat this guy? How are we gonna wean him off the ventilator? I almost had to like do um, uh, like a gym session for my lungs because initially they put me on like the ultimate assistant, which is full oxygen. And then over time, they sort of wanted my lungs to work harder and work more. And mate, literally changing from each level, it, it felt like I was suffocating. You know how hard it was to breathe, going from from the the easiest level to all yeah. the way to the point where I could then breathe independently. And that took almost five six months before I was actually off the ventilator and breathing on my own. But the level of care, you know, the expertise, the professionalism, the NHS, mate, it was it was unreal. And they saved my life, mate. You know, there's there's no way we can we can put it. They 
saved my life, especially at the time when I was in that induced coma and I was dealing with the four different things at once, you know, the dialysis, the liver, the kidney, the TB, the GBS, like the doctors didn't know like where to start, mate. You know, like this guy, his body's just packing up, you know. And while I was laying there in bed, I remember my my heart rate was 180 beats per minute while I was laying paralyzed. Yeah. 180 beats per minute. Mate, that's like being in the gym, pretty much. So it just shows you how hard my heart was working to to keep me alive, mate. It's it's yeah, it's it's hectic. It's it's like Liam when he Liam when he sees a Mars bar. <laughs> Mate, I was going to say, it's been a long, long time before either of our heart rates have been up at 180. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I was going to say, before we move away from these, these dark times, you had a, a, a bit of a well-known guest visit you in hospital. Yes, how, I did. How, sur- how surprised were you when uh, Ben Stokes walked onto your ward? Mate, I think there's a, there's a video that shows my face how shocked I was. And the, the way that that played out, right, is that in hospital every day, I was just wearing the hospital gowns, you know, because it was just easier and more convenient for me. And on that specific day, you know, Dale, Callum, my family members, my girlfriend, everyone was trying to convince me to wear clothes. And I was like, why? I, I, don't, I don't like clothes. Like, I prefer the hospital gowns, you know, like, why? You know, and they were just like, no, no. So they need to wear clothes this day. Like, and I was like, I don't get it. But eventually I cracked. And I was like, you know what, fine. I'll wear these clothes just to shut you guys up. You know? <laughs> and, then, and then I put on shorts and a, I put on shorts and a, t- and a t-shirt. For the first time, mate. Literally for the first time in the whole time since I'd been in the hospital. And um, all of a sudden, you know, in the late afternoon, I'm, I'm sitting with my girlfriend. And I see Dale walk in and he's wearing his big, his big jacket. You know, you know Dale's tall. And, and I can't see, you know, behind him. So he's, I see him looking, I'm like, oh, yeah, Dale's back. Then all of a sudden he comes closer and behind him is, is Ben and Kay Stokes. And I'm just there, like, I look twice, mate. I was like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I, I genuinely could not believe it, mate. It was, it was Ben Stokes. And how this all, it's so funny how this plays out because the day I got sick, I watched Ben Stokes win yeah. the match for England, win the World Cup. And then all of a sudden, he's the one that visits me in hospital. It's, it's just crazy to look back and connect how all the dots have worked. Even, like I said, New Zealand losing and Callum being there that night. Like, you can't make this stuff up, mate, you know? And, yeah. and, 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 and you know, Ben Stokes comes through and what a, what a lad. You know, he, he sat down, he, he encouraged me. You know, he was down to earth, um, he was humble. He asked questions, actually, a lot of questions about South Africa and the series coming up because I think they were preparing to to go to South Africa. So I was very surprised at how engaging he was, and he was just really a cool guy, you know. Um, and and that was that was that was nice, man. That, that was a highlight for sure. And kudos to Dale actually because he's the one who who reached out to the ECB and and told them about everything that I was going through at the time. And you know, it just happened. It happened to coincide with the with the BBC. Sports Personality Awards, and it was between um, Morgan Stokes and Roy, I think, to uh, who was going to come visit me because the ECB got back to them and were like, "Sure, mate, like, of course we'll we'll come through." But then Ben was actually the one who said, "No, I want to do it." Yeah. Like he volunteered himself without them even, you know, asking him. And that was that was crazy, man. That was just amazing for him to do that, and 
a definite highlight, you know, of, of my illness and then time in hospital. So shout out to Dale for making that happen, man. Like he really brought me happiness and joy and shock, disbelief on that, on that day, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I know, um, I know it, when I still got in touch with Soul, you find out how tight schedule these guys run, like, you know, big personalities like Stokes. And I think you had, yeah. like, you had to kind of force it to get that extra kind of 10, 50 minutes to exactly, get man. from the hotel yeah, to the hospital yeah, to spend some time doing it. But he didn't need to do that. And, you know, even after that, the fact that he won it, you know, it was just all this. And then on the red carpet in an interview, he was speaking about me, and I was like, "Wow, dude! Like, you literally didn't need to do that." I was, I was like, completely made. I'm never deleting that video. <laughs> <laughs> he's right. He's right to talk about that, though. So people need to know. Do you know what I mean? What you've gone through and how you've got through. Yeah. You know, it's a story that no, needs man, to be I, told. I appreciate Absolutely. that, like times one thousand, and you know, for him on that occasion, you know, on the red carpet. You know, at the biggest award ceremony in the UK. I mean, he's going up against Lewis Hamilton, you know, and, and all these guys. And for him to mention my story and speak about what I was going through on, on his night, you know, it wasn't about me. It wasn't my night. It was about what he had done with the England team and, and, and for England. And for him to go out of his way and do that, and he didn't need to do that, that was just like a touch of class, mate. Yeah. You know, a touch of class. Yeah. Really. And he won as well, didn't he? Yeah, good Anyone man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and he's done. He's done all right in this last series as well with the West Indies. So, um, he's, Hog, Hoggy's totally right. So uh, this isn't a kind of normal type of show or something that we'd normally cover, but the story needs to be told, mate. And and uh, do you know what? It's good that you can speak confidently and competently about what happened to you, because, um, like I say, it's it's something else. Anyway. We're going to have a little bit of fun before we head off here, mate, and we're going to do uh, some power play questions. So these are some questions that we're going to come up with and uh, for your opinions before we head off. All right, mate? Oh, awesome. I mean, let's do you want go. to start, Hog? Uh, I'll have to get the, the questions up first, Liam, if you don't mind. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll start us off. <laughs> so, so <laughs> red ball or white ball? White ball. Uh, shower with the boys or a Dundee shower? Shower with the boys. Knox. Or Rev de Cuba? Knox. We are oh. part, of, part of the Knox committee, myself and Callum. And other <laughs> Callum, Callum Drummond as well. <laughs> we're part of the Knox committee. <laughs> what, uh, what nights would you visit Knox, mate? Um, what was it? Milk Thursday, if my memory Ma, yeah. serves me correctly. The Warriors or Eastern Province? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, that is tough because... For the level of cricket, I would 100% say Warriors. But in terms of the relationships and the brotherhood, Eastern Province. You know, it's, it's, it's two different things. Tomato sauce in the fridge or tomato sauce in the cupboard? Fridge. Solid. Solid. Correct <laughs> answer. <laughs> right. Uh, sorry, uh, Liam, I'm going to mix this question up a little bit. Of course, but, mate. Um, Callum McCannis, left arm seamers or Callum McCannis, left arm orthodox? Left, left arm orthodox without a doubt. Oh, yes. He took, that he, answer. He, took, he, took, he took more wickets bowling spin than he did seem. So did he bowl, let, no did he bowl orthos in a, in a game, did he? Mate, the, literally you would open the bowling and then your seconds bowl would be a spin. 
No, he's definitely a better uh, spinner than he is a seamer. Yeah? <laughs> not, the, the not, numbers, that he's a, not that he's a bad seamer, but I mean, like, the, the, I just remember him bowling orthos. Yeah. No, the, the numbers definitely say that, you know. Like, he, he picked up, you know, quite a few wickets and we were all... I think he was even contemplating completely changing at one point um, to, to, to left-arm orthodox. I don't know if that's happened or not. Obviously, yeah, he was, yeah. he's considering it as far well, as I know. He could be a professional cricketer bowling left arm orthodox. He can't be a professional decent, cricketer bowling 62 mile an hour Christmas presents. <laughs> Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, to be fair, I think he's yeah. got me out a few times, so it's probably. <laughs> Do you like anything from the buffet? Right, <laughs> uh, like, so 100 with the bat or Pfeiffer with a ball? Uh, I would compromise for a 3 for and a 50 in one game. <laughs> Sat on that four round, so, four round yeah. package, mate. Gotta be four <laughs> round package. You gotta, you gotta dip your fingers in a little bit of everything. <laughs> right. Um, on a brand new pitch, brand new ball in the high felt, <laughs> who would you rather face? Lungi and Gidi. That's probably not how you pronounce it, but I'll give it a crack. And, or Anrich Nortje. Oh, Gidi any day. Nortje can kill me. <laughs> like, maybe Ngidi will get me out, but Nokia can actually kill me. Like going 150 k's an hour. Like night out with the boys or meal and drinks with the missus. Oh mate, that is a tough one. That is a tough. That is, I'm in a I'm in a tough uh, spot. They're all, all going to be listening, mate. I know, mate. And the thing is, my my, my missus has stood with me throughout this whole thing mate like she has shown up in a way that i could never have imagined you know um when i got sick she was on holiday with her friends in zanzibar mate and left the holiday she didn't even have the money at the time to book the flight borrowed the money from a friend to fly to scotland the day she found out i got sick mate and if i can count on the amount of days that you know she's been with me in scotland bedside flying up and down from you know, Germany or South Africa or Zanzibar or whatever, to be with me while I'm paralyzed. Made it three months she spent in hospital out of the six months that I was there. So I think the boys are just going to have to forgive me. And, and <laughs> I'm going to have to give it to my missus for that one, mate. Unreal. God, good on you, mate. So I was going to say, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you've actually set a world record. And that's for the longest FaceTime call ever. Uh, your girlfriend I'm not surprised <laughs> I'm not surprised actually my girlfriend and I made like every night you know we'd look forward to FaceTime we'd literally FaceTime each other from 10pm to 4am every day you know and, and even now mate, we, we FaceTime each other three times a day I don't know why I don't know how much can change over the course of a day but you know it's just I guess it comes with the job so yeah mate <laughs> it is what it is Nah, you've got a good one there, so big shout out to you, sir. My, my knee's definitely wobbling. <laughs> well, if you need a ring, you know, I've got a jeweler right here. She's in the room next door, mate. I'll send you, I'll send you a business card. Mate, I think you've got to send it through to Del first, because I think he's going to drop before I do. He's, yeah. <laughs> He'd have to, he'll have to be careful getting down on that knee. It might go on the way down. <laughs> mate, I can't, wait, I can't wait to rock my kilt when I come back to the world. Oh, mate. <laughs> right, uh, one dare or a T20? T20. It's better for the body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
reads are keeping or reads are batting? Uh, batting for sure. Keeping was, uh, yeah. <laughs> Not the most mobile reader anymore, is he? You know what? There, there was there was some catches that he took which I was like very like actually reader. You know, if you if you worked harder on your you know your keeping and your fitness, you could actually be really proper behind the stumps. But I think maybe with time, I don't know, or you know, I don't know. But I'd say batting, batting. Right off the back of that question, then. Uh, Reedser keeping or Shane Dowrich keeping? Is that his name, Shane? Uh, from West Indies. Yeah. Because he, he got pied in the face the other day. So oh, my go God. One of the worst things you'll ever see. Have you oh, seen that? Oh, that was awful. Oh. I have to go with Reedser on that one because of that. Just, just, like, just like fingertips it onto his face. Who's bowling? I know, mate. It was Shannon Gabriel. Was it Gabriel? Gabriel? Yeah. yeah. Warm-up football or warm-up rugby? Warm up footy, mate. Hands down. Right answer, mate. Aberdeen FC. <laughs> <laughs> give me a give me a call, Aberdeen FC. <laughs> I'm, in the you, mate, a, I'm in the market for a changing career. <laughs> I'm considering my options. A couple of the Aberdeen FC players used to come and or come and watch you boys a lot. The goalkeeper, he's a captain as well, Joe yeah. Lewis. He comes and watches. So does uh, Sam Cosgrove. He comes and watches as well. Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to go watch them once. Um, Callum and I went. Right, so here's, here's one that might bring back some uh, not so good memories. So, fish pie. Oh. So that's <laughs> stage three, oh. fish pie from ARI or oh. no food for a week. <laughs> no food for a week because I couldn't <laughs> eat the fish pie. It was terrible. They'll, they will tell you. Oh, my goodness. Even the way it looked, like, it just did not invite you to be eaten. It wasn't, it, it, it didn't say, eat me. <laughs> you know, like, it, it was terrible, mate. It was terrible. Oh. What was so bad about it? Was it, like, was it real potato or was it the sort of dehydrated? So, so, no, so the thing is, remember, I had to, like, learn how to swallow again, you know. So I went from literally swallowing teaspoons of water to, like, then being able to um, use like a, a cup and, and drink some water, maybe drink a smoothie because it's got a bit, it's like a higher level. Then I went from that to like baby food. And then I went from baby food to like mashed potatoes, mashed fish, mashed. You can even get a mashed chicken and mayo sandwich, mate. It's unbelievable. Like the <laughs> mashed thing, you get the variety. And the taste, it's on point as well. I don't, I don't know how they, how they do it. But that mashed fish pie thing, I don't know. They need to. They need to pin that. They need to pin it. I don't know if there's anyone that eats it. <laughs> right. What um. What was your favourite pub in Aberdeen? So, just to go for a couple. Well, of years. I already. Uh, I said I was part of the the Knox committee, so I, I enjoyed going to. to that's right. Excuse that's, me? that's that's not a pub though. It needs to be a like a bar, uh, not not a club. Then, then I would definitely say the the club uh pub, the club bar. Right. Okay. So five pints. At Manafield, five pints of tenants, or five pints of Castle in Barney's. It, de- it depends, but I would say <laughs> Castle. Oh, my nice. I would say Castle. Tenants, tenants. It takes a strong person to have five pints of tenants. <laughs> <laughs> what about Barney? Is Barney still still a thing in PE? Mate, Barney. I mean, I've been in Joburg this whole time. I feel like I don't even know 
poor Elizabeth looks the same. I need to go back <laughs> and I need to go reassess how things are over there in Bali. But it's definitely a legendary, legendary spot. Legendary yeah. spot. Class. Last uh, power play solo, and it's important. Take a game for the MCC or spend the weekend painting the garden fence. <laughs> spend the weekend painting the garden fence. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 my boy, that's right. <laughs> Mate, that, uh, that ends uh, the power play button. Just just before we go, what's, what does the future hold for, for yourself, mate? So, fortunately, you know, at this stage, um, I'm, I'm in a good space. You know, I'm healthy. You know, I, I don't think we spoke about it, but, you know, when I, since I've been back in South Africa, I also did contract COVID. So that, that knocked me out for like a month. Um, and I was, I was quite ill. Fortunately, it didn't get to the point where I needed to go back to hospital. Um, so now I'm finally healthy, going back to therapy, making progress. And the goal right now for me is by January next year to sort of be on my feet again. You know, although be it, uh, I've lost a lot of muscle and uh, a lot of weight and stuff. And I'll need to sort of put myself in a six-month program, sort of working out twice a day, trying to get my level of fitness and strength back. And then um, depending on, on which city I am, whether it be Johannesburg or Port Elizabeth, now I'm going to find a club um, for the obviously provided COVID provisions are, are different. Um, and I'll find a club and, and I'll basically play from the start of the season in September until um, Jan and try and really give myself a chance and see if I'm still competitive, if I can still push to go pro again. And if that's the case, you know, whatever team takes me, I'll go. I just want to get back on that field. I just want that feeling of competing again. You know, it was, it was hard for me to sit you know, in the hospital bed, paralyzed, watching guys that I, that I used to play with, sort of taking that next step in their, their careers. It's, I feel like right as I got sick, all the changes in franchise cricket started happening. You know, all the, all the guys started retiring. All the guys that I was like, maybe even doing better than at the time of me getting sick, started like getting real opportunities, playing in the Mzansi Super League. I mean, I don't know if you saw Vian Lever in the Mzansi yeah. Super League. Like that... He was unreal in that, mate. And he, was smashing, that, he was smashing your mate Norchi everywhere, was he not? Mate, out of the stadium, mate. Out of the stadium, you know? So for me to see, you know, and I had my last game I played, I bowled at Vian and bowled pretty well at him, you know? And then to see him smashing guys playing international cricket, but now I can't do anything about it. I'm yeah. sitting in the hospital bed. It was, mate, it was extremely painful and frustrating. But, you know, for me, at least I know the skill is still there. It's just I need to get my body right and my body back and, and fit again so that I can compete. And that's, yeah. the, that's the dream for me right now, to, to, to get my body right so that I can try and give myself an opportunity again. Yeah. Remember what you said about uh, coming back from you, your, um, your bowling problems at the start with a bent arm and stuff? You said you maybe came back a bit too early. Remember that when you're on your way back? Yeah. You're not going to start yeah. running and bowling. 135 clicks straight off the bat, yeah. are you? So yeah. just You're ease, right. your, ease mm. your way back into it. And we'll be following you for sure from over here. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to reiterate that, yeah. Hog. When, when couple, you do... got a couple of uh, agents over here in Scotland. We'll sort it out. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> you know, well, you... The, people, the people of Scotland and, and you guys have, have always been really good You know, to me. You guys, you know, welcome me with open arms. Um, you know, I was so surprised at how friendly... You know, people were in general and supportive people were in, in Scotland, you know, and that's rare. And I think that's one thing 
you know, if you guys can take pride in this, how you treat people, especially new people coming into your environment. And you really did make me feel like I have a second home, you know, in, in, in Scotland. And, you know, what a dream it would be for me to come back and, and play there again and see you guys. And, you know, just, just to chop it up after all of this that has happened, you know, um, over this past year, it's been wild, man. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, you guys have been unbelievable. And, and thank you for creating this platform again for me to be able to just, you know, make you guys make me feel normal again. You know, you make me feel and forget about everything that's going on, man. And I and I cannot tell you how much that means to me. So thank you for, for creating this platform for me to talk and to share and just to chop it up like a bunch of lads. After the game, <laughs> having, having a pint of tenants. <laughs> pint of vitamin tea. So I, as always said, mate, uh, everyone over here is in your corner and we've got your back mate and you're definitely due um, a much more uh, successful year ahead fingers crossed thank you bud fingers crossed thank you so much yeah. Liam thank you bud no worries mate no worries yeah cheers so lot's been quality mate yeah